as mentioned already, the sermon this afternoon is on the truth of the Word of God concerning our sinfulness, and we find a summary of this doctrine in Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is on page 519 in the Book of Praise. So Lord's Day 3 picks up where Lord's Day 2 leaves off. We see in question and answer 5 that we cannot keep the, the law of God perfectly. Rather, we are inclined by nature to hate God and our neighbor. And so Lord's Day 3 continues, Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? No. On the contrary, God created man good and in his image, that is, in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might rightly know God, his creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness to praise and glorify him. From where then did man's depraved nature come? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. For there, our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined to all evil? Yes, unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. After the sermon, we will respond with hymn 28, stanzas 1, 3, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we begin this sermon this afternoon, some of us might not really be looking forward to it, because this is a sermon on sin, and we know that nothing wrecks a good mood like hearing about how rotten we are, right? So we might think, you know, do we really have to hear this again? We know that we're sinful people. Do we really have to hear it again? Well, yes. Yes, we do need to hear about this again. And it's not just because, well, you know, it's in the catechism, so we just have to kind of grit our teeth and, and get through it. It's kind of like eating your broccoli. Well, no, this is, this is much different. Hearing about our sin actually doesn't have to be an awful experience. On the contrary, we can be glad when we learn about our sinfulness because when we, when we do, we really begin to understand who Jesus is. We can understand what he has gone through for us. When we hear about our sin, we are blessed with comfort and joy because of who Jesus is for us. If we recall Lord's Day 1, of course, that's one of our favorite Lord's Days, we remember that there are three things that we have to know in order to live and die in the joy and the comfort of belonging to Jesus Christ. And those three things are, number one, we have to know how great are my sins. Number two, we have to know how we are delivered from those sins. 
And then third, we have to know how we can be thankful to God for that deliverance. And if we don't understand those three things, and of course, our sinfulness is one of those three, if we don't understand those things, then we cannot understand the gospel. But when we understand how helpless and hopeless we were without Christ, when we understand what our redemption costed him, then we begin to understand something of the love of God for us. When we understand his love, when we see the love of God that would do such a thing, then we can be comforted and we can be amazed and assured at what God has done and we can react with worship, with love. If God loves me enough to do all of this, well then, we can live without fear. We can live with comfort. We can live with hope. So yes, this afternoon we're going to hear about our sinfulness. But when we do, we can grasp all the more how astounding it is that we can sit here today as the congregation of Jesus Christ. How we can have fellowship with God and have fellowship with each other. This is an act of God. We can worship God rightly because of what we know about him. So the gospel comes to us this way, this afternoon. God displays salvation by showing us our sin. And we'll see three aspects of this. First, good creation. Second, our tragic fall. And third, our gracious restoration. So first, our good creation. Now, when we're considering the sinfulness of humanity, one of the really important questions that comes up, like right away, is where did this sin come from? Why are we this way? Did God make us this way? And if so, doesn't that make God evil? And of course, this is something, this is an argument that atheists, arguing against Christianity, atheists love to bring up. So they would suppose that the history of the world is something like the following. If there is a God, well then we can see that God created the world and then put all of these mechanisms into the world and through those mechanisms, organisms came to life, they lived, they died, they developed into people, our ancestors, and along the way, these living beings developed tendencies of survival and some of those tendencies included you know, attacking and killing each other so that the strong ones continued and the weak ones, you know, were, uh, were left behind. And along with all of this, you know, sicknesses and diseases started to, started to happen as well. And so there's all, the, all these cycles of life and death and killing and, and suffering. And then finally, God sees this world that he has made and he says, you know, that's enough. I am finally going to get involved and I'm going to I'm going to do something about this you know and that's that's their conception of of God and this is a really weak view of God this certainly is not our God if this is the way it happened 
if this is the way it happened, well then yes, we would have to admit that yes, all the sin and death and corruption in the world would be a direct result of the way that God created the world. God would be the author of evil. God would be the author of, of corruption. And this is the first question that we see in Lord's Day 3. First question in Lord's Day 3. Did God then create man so wicked and perverse? We look around, we see this is how we are. How'd we get here? Did God do it? Did our sinfulness come from God? And of course, we're taught here that no. No, this is not God's fault. We can't say, as some would like to say, you know, I'm a sinner. I am as God made me, and I can't help it. But we learn something very different here. We read, we learn, we confess that God created man good and in his image, in true righteousness and holiness. God created us perfect and pure, designed with, with a beautiful purpose, to know God, to love God, to live with God, to worship God. Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, God says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, pure, righteous, holy. And then we see in verse 31 of Genesis 1, God sees everything that he has made, and it is very good. So when God created this world, there was no death. There was no sin, there was no disease, there was no corruption. Creation was flawless. Unlike what we see today, creation was perfect. And that included human beings. Question and answer six says that we were created good and in God's image. And that means in true righteousness and holiness. And that's something that we also read in Ephesians chapter four concerning a restoration. Now, of course, that's something that we're going to look at a little bit more in the third point, but that restoration means that as we are sanctified and, and uh, made alive in Christ, we regain certain qualities that we were created with, qualities that we lost with the fall into sin. So those two major qualities are righteousness and holiness. This, according to the Apostle Paul and and echoed by our catechism, this is the major idea in the image of God. So, what does righteousness and holiness mean? Well, they're really tightly connected to each other, and so let's take holiness first, and then we'll, we'll understand righteousness afterwards. So, holiness is a unique word. You know, we, we really don't use it very much in, in everyday English. A good way to think about holiness is in two ways. So first, holiness can describe who you are. And then secondly, it can describe what you are like. So the first way is you are either holy or you are not holy. It's on or off. So Let's take an, an object like a candlestick, for example. So a candlestick 
could be just a regular everyday candlestick that an Israelite would use in their home. They would use it to, you know, to, to, to light the inside of their house at night. Um, and so in this way, it is not a holy candlestick. Or you could have a holy candlestick that looked exactly like the regular candlestick, but it was dedicated to the service of God. It was used in the tabernacle. So a candlestick can be either, either holy or not holy. So you are holy in this way. And I'm speaking to you as the congregation of God here. Now, there may be some of us here, some of you here, who haven't specifically been marked out in your life yet as holy, as dedicated to God. You haven't received this status, this, you haven't received this special mark yet. We've received this special mark of holiness when we were baptized. This is God putting his claim on you and saying, this one is dedicated to me. This one is for me. This one is to worship me and to enjoy my goodness and my fellowship forever. Now, if you haven't been marked out in this way, if you haven't been baptized, then you are strongly encouraged to declare that you do believe in Jesus Christ and so receive this mark. God has given us this for our comfort to assure us that we are indeed dedicated to him, that we do belong to him. So that's the first kind of holiness, being for God, dedicated to God. And the other kind of holiness is what you are like. So this is the kind of holiness, like a, a moral holiness, that, that can change and progress over time. So we can become more and more holy by the Spirit of Christ as we learn to live our lives as God wants us to. So you and I, we are holy, number one, in the sense that we are for God, that is unchanging, and second, we're holy in, a, in the progressive more and more sense. You become more and more holy as you learn more and more to live as God commands you to live. And we can think of righteousness, so we were talking about holiness and righteousness, right? And we can think of righteousness as connected really to the second kind of, of holiness, if someone was perfectly holy in the moral sense, if they had never ever sinned even once in the least, then God would look at them and judge them to be righteous. They would be, even in themselves, right before God. Think of a courtroom setting, guilty or innocent, righteous or unrighteous. And this is how Adam and Eve were created. Holy in the sense that they were dedicated to God. Holy in the sense that they were morally perfect. And they were righteous in the eyes of God. There was no charge of wrongdoing that would be leveled at Adam and Eve. They were blameless. And the beautiful thing about being created in this way about being created with these qualities is that we were created to have a relationship with God. That's the purpose. God can only be related to holy things. 
That's why he says to his people, be holy because I am holy. God is teaching us, I am holy and, and I want to be near you, so you have to be holy too. And it's a beautiful relationship. In this relationship, God makes himself known to the people that he loves. He gave perfect knowledge to Adam and Eve so that they would be able to worship him and enjoy him and be filled with the fullness of his glory. This is just a sublime existence. Enjoying the goodness of God. Basking in the glory of God with nothing hindering it, nothing coming between you and God, experiencing the fullness of God's magnificence. We can hardly imagine, we can hardly imagine how outstanding that life must have been. There aren't words for that kind of life with God. So now we look around and some people ask, well, look at all this evil. Look at all this corruption. Did God do this? No. Not even close. We did this. We did this. When God saw all that he had made, he judged it to be very good. And so we ask with the words of our catechism, well then, where did our depraved nature come from? How did we end up this way, and that's our second point, our tragic fall. We read from Romans chapter 5 earlier in the service. Let's have a look at verse 12 again. Romans 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, and we'll stop there for a moment. This is something that's also taught in our catechism in, chapter, in the question and answer seven. Our depravity came through the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. And there, our nature became so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. So this came through one man, Adam. And of course, we all know the story. God gave Adam and Eve every fruit and vegetable to eat, but he withheld one from them. And they thought that they knew better than God. They thought that they could overrule a command of God. And so when they disobeyed, they became completely sinful. In doing so, their nature, their entire nature was completely changed. It was ruined. Our first father, Adam, was in a perfect, loving relationship with God. And when sin entered his heart and he disobeyed, his nature became immediately incompatible with God. His perfect holiness, his perfect righteousness were gone. And of course, as we said already, since God is perfect, God is pure, God is holy, then by his own good nature, he can't have anything to do. He can't have anything to do with us. The relationship is broken, and all the good gifts that Adam had from God, these things were all corrupted. He was suddenly subject to death. And of course, this was the promise of God in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. In the day you eat of it, 
you will surely die. Physical and spiritual death. Physical death because the wages of sin is death. Whoever sins dies. And spiritual because sinfulness brings separation from God, from the God who is the source of life. And spiritual death is horrific. Spiritual death is awful. Canons of Dort, Article 1, describe it like this. Spiritual death is blindness. It's horrible darkness. It's futility. It is perverseness of judgment in mind. It's wickedness, it's rebelliousness, stubbornness in will and heart, impurity in all affections. And the worst part is that this new horrible nature is like an infection. It's hereditary. It's a disease that gets passed from parent to child with no exception. Nobody is immune to this. Everybody is born with it. Nobody by nature, nobody by nature has the pure and perfect image of God any longer. And since that relationship is broken, nobody is able to know God as we're supposed to know God. Genesis 6 verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. In Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were dead in your sins, not, not sick in your sins, not unwell in your sins, dead in your sins. This is so dark, this is so hideous compared to the righteousness and the holiness that we were just talking about earlier. And this is maybe the part that, that can be troublesome for us. You know, why did I have to be born like this? Why did I have to be born like this? Adam had a choice, right? Adam had a choice. He deliberately threw his righteousness and his holiness away, but I didn't choose this, right? We were born like this through no fault of our own. How could we help it? Well, yeah, that's a big pill to swallow, isn't it? But this is the horrible nature of sin. As mentioned before, sinful nature is hereditary. Please, if you are able, turn with me for a moment to Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. Genesis chapter 5. Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son, and listen to this, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. That's a really important thing to take note of here. Adam fathered a son in his image, in his likeness. The problem here, what's the problem here? The problem is that by this time, Adam's image and likeness is sinful and corrupt. We saw this in Romans 5, verse 12. Again, sin comes into the world through one man, and death because of that sin. Because of that, 
all people die because all people sinned. And then verse 15, many die through one man's trespass. Verse 16, judgment that follows one trespass brings condemnation. Verse 17, because of the trespass of one man, death reigns. That means that death comes to every person who ever lives. Verse 18, the trespass results in condemnation for all people. Every single person here sitting in this room is a descendant of Adam. Every single one of us by nature has Adam's image and likeness. And because of that, our natures are so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. All of this is to drive home the widespread effect of the fallen to sin. One man sins, it all comes to us. That's the natural way. But this isn't God's fault. We can't point our fingers at God because of our rebellion. Remember, he created us perfect and righteous and holy. We brought this on ourselves, and so we deserve this condition, the condition of being completely lost, dead in sin, dead for eternity, sin and death and hell. That's, that's the natural inheritance for every single descendant of Adam. But, but, we saw something else in Romans chapter 5. If you are following along as, as we just went through you know, verse 12, 15, 16, 17, 18. If you were following along with that as we looked at all of those pronouncements of condemnation, then you would notice that we were only paying attention to the first half of each one of those verses. Yes, many died through one trespass. That's verse 15. Many died through one trespass, but the verse continues. But the free gift is not like the trespass. There's something else happening here. Verse 16, judgment brings condemnation, but the gift brings justification. Verse 17, death reigns because of one trespass, but because of the gift, God's grace reigns in life. Verse 18, one trespass brings condemnation, but the righteous, one righteous act brings justification and life for all people. So, so, if, if any of us were ready to think poorly of God because of the things that we rightfully inherit from Adam and Eve, well, then how much more should we be ready to praise him and thank him for the imbalance of grace and mercy that God shows us in another man, in Jesus Christ? Eternal death is deserved. That's something that we naturally inherit. That's what we're supposed to get. But the eternal life is given as a gift. It's a gift that so far outweighs that condemnation. There's an alternative to the common human condition that we saw earlier. The common natural human, human condition of being born in sin, living in sin, dying in that sin, and then having eternal punishment for sin. That's the default. But God gives a beautiful alternative. He gives restoration and life. And that's our third point, our gracious restoration. 
So that's a bit of a ride from the dazzling heights of the, the beauty of creation all the way to, to the helplessness that we find ourselves in without Christ. What can be done about, about that condition, the condition of being lost? Well, we need to be saved from that death. We need a rescuer, a rescuer who can save our life from certain and eternal death. And this rescuer is Jesus Christ. This rescuer is the second Adam. This is what we saw in Romans 5. We receive a lousy inheritance from Adam, but for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ, the right to life is given again. And God shows his amazing wisdom, his eternal wisdom, his eternal love and goodness in the way that he rescues us. Immediately after the fall, God came to save. Immediately after the fall into sin, God came with a promise of restoration. He promised that a descendant of Adam would come. And this is really important. It would be a descendant who, unlike any of us, would be able to overcome sin and death. Think about this. Jesus... Jesus, unlike any other descendant of Adam, is immune to that deadly inheritance. Jesus had to be immune to that inheritance. And, and how was that possible? Well, it was be because of something that we confessed earlier at the very beginning of this worship service. We confessed it earlier. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and he was born of the Virgin Mary. He was a true man, or is a true man, but because of the way he was conceived, he was not conceived and born in sin. Finally, someone who can get us out of this disaster. Jesus is the God-man perfect image of the Father. We were created in the image and likeness of God and lost so much of it, but Jesus is the perfect, uncorrupted image, the one who has divine power to bear the wrath of God against the sins that we committed, sins that he took credit for. True God, true man, the one who defeated death by his own death. He gives us the right now to live eternally. But he also changes our lives right now. He changes our lives today. Question and answer eight gets us to be honest about our condition apart from Christ. How corrupt are we in Adam? How corrupt are we? Are we so corrupt? that we can't do any good at all? And are we inclined to all evil? Yes, yes we are, unless, unless something else. And that's a big unless. Unless we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Regenerated, remade, recreated. This is today's benefit of belonging to Christ. 
We are fallen creatures, but we have the promise of eternal life. We see all that in Romans 5, but that's not only something that is far off, that's not something that's only in the future, it's something that is today. Jesus Christ gives us his spirit to restore our minds to knowledge of God. In ourselves, we had no righteousness, no holiness, but, but by the Spirit of Christ, this is restored. God considers us righteous, and by the Holy Spirit's miraculous work in our hearts, we're able to make more and more progress in this holiness. We're able to keep God's commands. And instead of being inclined, attracted to all evil, we can be all the more inclined or attracted to goodness. The Holy Spirit makes our appetites, our desires, our affections, our knowledge come to life instead of being dead in sin. That's what we read in Ephesians 4. The way we would have been walking or the way we would be walking without Christ in futility of mind, darkened in understanding, alienated from God, callous, inclined towards sensuality and impurity, but we are different today in Christ because of the work of the Spirit that's in us or who is in us. He makes that kind of deadness come to life. And that act, that act of the Spirit of God is as awesome and as miraculous as creation itself. It's as awesome and as miraculous and as powerful as the raising of the dead. This is the power that is at work in you today. This is a miracle. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, you are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Constantly, you are constantly in the process of putting off the old self and you are constantly in the process of being created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is amazing. We had kissed that goodbye. That was gone. But all that was lost is being restored. And what does that look like? Well, that looks like, you know, people who by nature would be desiring evil, worshiping yourselves, listening to your evil desires, but instead you have a changed nature, a nature that loves the law of God. You are people now who can say along with the psalmist in, in Psalms like Psalm 19, Psalm 119, oh Lord, I love your law. Your precepts are beautiful. Your commands are, are more precious to me than fine gold. I delight in your statutes. We are people whose new natural desires are the very things that God commands. How amazing is that? We can love to come together like we are now. Come together and worship God. This is our desire. This is our food. This is joy. Loving to serve one another. Giving your lives to each other. Denying yourselves and worshiping God and loving each other. This is regeneration. This is restoration. That's an amazing story. 
It's an amazing story. And when we know this story, the story in which our sin is such a huge part, we have a better understanding of who God is. This God whom we worship, what is he like? He's the God who did all of this. We have a better understanding of how incomprehensibly great his love is for us, that he would do something like this at such a cost for his own son. This is why the Apostle Paul writes, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, so that you might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what our sin teaches us. And when we are filled with the fullness of God, what, what a comfort we have in this life. We are comforted in life and death because each one of us can say this, I belong to my Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood, and he has set me free from all the power of the devil. That is the glorious gospel of salvation. Amen.